Hey, I'm Tyler. And I'm Katie. You're listening to Nostalgia. You want context? We got context. Seems aggressive. Kate, lately I've been listening to another podcast. What? Called... How dare you? Uh, Blank Check with Griffin and David. I was turned on to it by my good friend, my old near and dear friend, Rob Zakes, who's been on, of course, our podcast. Yeah, friend of the pod. And is due, due back at some point to talk about Gundam. I need to... Rob, if you're listening, we need to schedule some time to... Watch some Gundam. Anyway, they say on that show all the time, because they their whole gimmick is that they watch all the movies from a different filmmaker, like a different director. You know, they do like a series, and each episode is a movie, like a Stanley Kubrick movie for his whole filmography, and then whoever, you know? And they call themselves connoisseurs of context, and I really relate it to that when I heard it. It really, that's what got me hooked when I first heard them say that. I was like, okay, I think I can like this. You do love context, you little punk. Speaking of context, Kate, have you ever seen a TV show called... Toonheads. I have not, surely. Toonheads. This show is all about context. It's the, the thing that made me obsessed, I think, with old cartoons and their this context. Is your villain origin story? Yes, 100%. Wow. And it's something I hadn't thought about in a long time. And then when I did and started looking it up to get ready for this podcast recording here, I was like, oh my God, this really explains a lot about me and my life. So, Kate, as you know well, Cartoon Network was launched on October 1st, 1992. It was created by media mogul Ted Turner because in the 80s, he realized he owned a lot of the television rights to some old theatrical cartoons, including some Tom and Jerry's from MGM, some old Looney Tunes from Warner Brothers, a lot of old Popeyes. So he decided in 1991 to buy Hanna-Barbera to bolster his cartoon library enough to be able to start a 24-7 cable channel that only aired cartoons. You know that, right? You know what's funny? I've heard you say the exact same thing in your sleep. (laughs) Toonheads was one of the first shows ever on this new channel. Channel, Cartoon Network, and it's barely a show, at least how it started. It's more of a programming block because the concept is it fits in a half hour slot. It's a half hour show, right? They just show three of those old cartoons from the big libraries of cartoons that he owned. That's the premise. It's just a way to show old cartoons. Okay. And originally, in its earliest incarnation, they would pretty much just like a narrator would say, This is, and they'd say the name of the episode, you know, The Rabbit of Seville. They'd play it, then they'd say the next one, and the next one. Did that man have anything to do with it? What man? Mike. Mike Lazo? That's a good question. As head programmer... Uh, well, was he the head programmer or was he just the tape boy at this point? Uh, at Cartoon Network, at that time, he would have just been a programmer. It's funny, his name is not... It wasn't in any of the credits I could find, although when we watch the episode, we'll have to watch the credits at the end to see. But I'm glad you asked because Andy Merrill, who's a close collaborator of Mike Lazo's, is involved. And who says you don't pay attention on this podcast, I'm Kate? so good at paying attention, Tyler. I Although, think you underestimate <laughs> How did you... Did you just, your question was, was that man involved in this? But yeah, you met Mike Lazo, yeah. Yeah. No, but Andy Merrill was. And Mike Lazo probably was involved in some way. So it was just three old cartoons. They'd say the names of them. But then as time went on, they kind of evolved this concept a little because it ran for eight seasons. And by the end, the version I was seeing as a kid, because I didn't have Cartoon Network yet when it first started, and I was one when it first started, uh, but eight years later, I sure did. What it turned into was the narrator would not only tell you the names of the cartoons, but they would explain to you just a little bit. I mean, less than a minute. Okay. It's like the beginning of an episode of Nostalgia before each cartoon. They'd explain the context and the themes of the episodes kind of got better and more interesting. So it would be like... Oh, okay. You know, here's three cartoons that are travelogues. Here's three Bugs Bunny cartoons made before 1942, before they changed his design or something like that. Or the best version, the version that really 
stuck with me as a kid and taught me more about cartoons than I probably would have known otherwise as a young boy would be like, here's three Chuck Jones cartoons. Here's three, Got you know, it. Tex okay. Avery cartoons. And they would tell you about the, the people who made them, the directors or the animators, and you'd really, you'd really learn about them. Hmm. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. As a side note, there were two different narrators over the course of the show, but one of them, Leslie Fram, I wanted to interview for this episode so bad because she's on um, Instagram. She like posts a lot. So I followed her with the podcast account and I would try to message her. She never followed us back. I just wanted to reach out and like talk to her about Toon Heads and I was never able to get her. And then every once in a while, I would like forget I was working on this and I'd be like, who's Leslie Fram? You know, like I'd be like, who is this person? Because she works for um, country music television now because these are all, you know, that's all TV people. That's also kind of funny as one of the narrators she wasn't like a voice person she was just an executive this is really kind of scrabbled together you know that's interesting uh, this show by just the people who worked at Cartoon Network when it was literally brand new all right and again I just can't stress to you enough how much I love this show um, Cartoon Network became available on like my parents cable package you know in like 2000 or 2001 I looked it up to confirm this I always remembered it airing late and I'm sometimes like with Nick at night I'm like that was so late and we found out it was what eight o'clock or something <laughs> uh, but by the year 2000 tune was airing at 11 p.m. on Fridays, right? It was one of sort of the, in 1992, it was like this one of the showcase shows of Cartoon Network and they were putting it in prime time. But eight years later, it was airing at 11 p.m. on Fridays. You know, like kids oh, aren't up anymore. Because yeah. by then, they had all their cartoon cartoons. They were making their original shows and they would air on Fridays, Cartoon Cartoon Fridays. So you'd see like new episodes of Dexter's Lab and Powerpuff wow. Girls and Johnny Bravo. And then they'd throw the remaining tune heads on at the very end of the night. Huh. And it was on 8.30 p.m. on Sundays. But I would always try to stay up because I, I like learning about these cartoons and then watching them. It's just weird being up late when you're a kid and then seeing old stuff. Every network was doing it. Cartoon Network was doing it. Uh, you had Nick at Night. And one day we'll talk about Disney Channel. They had a thing called Vault Disney. Same concept where it's just like this weird. You're tired. You're like half asleep and dreaming. And then you look on TV and it's like old black and white stuff. And you're just, it's a good feeling. Is it? It's a very I pleasant feeling for me. it would be very scary for me. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, is this a fever dream? What year is it? Oh, I liked it. When it's did like, I wake up? It's like layers. Fall out. Oh, did you, <laughs> did you wake up in the past? Yeah. Yeah. Now it's like layers of nostalgia, you know, because I'm remembering remembering my childhood and then in my childhood I was looking back previous generations childhoods I you liked can't it. see this right now listeners but Tyler's kind of doing like a little bit of a like applying some pressure to his chest in what looks like a small hug mm-hmm. and this makes me you, makes you me look, happy you look genuinely happy mm-hmm. and I'm really glad to see you happy wow and I realized Kate that the way I like to learn about these cartoons get context and then watch them I've created this experience for you live every week that's what nostalgia is isn't it, it really I Give me the context. We watched some cartoons or some shows. I can say with 100% confidence, there would be no Nostalgia podcast if I didn't watch Toon Heads as a kid, right? Like, it's Thanks, Toon Heads. <laughs> Thanks, Ted Turner. Um, oh, Ted Turner. Ted Turner. Toon Heads aired on Cartoon Network from October 2nd, 1992 to November 23rd, 2003. October 2nd was the second day of Cartoon Network. It launched at night on October 1st with Droopy's Guide to the Cartoon Network. What? It's a future episode. Okay. It's like this two-hour thing that they, it was the first thing when the network launched. So for a couple days, it was just a big countdown if you happened to tune into this brand new channel. And then this Droopy thing came on where he basically just, they got, they hired someone to do the voice of Droopy the dog because they owned the rights to him and his cartoons. And he explained what would be on Cartoon Network for a while and showed some cartoons. That's another day for another episode. Uh, so October 2nd, 92 to November 23rd, 2003, Toon Heads. 
eight seasons, 102 episodes. Uh, there's no credited creator because you'd have to credit the people who made the shorts in the episodes you're watching. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the producers are listed. And the first producer was Andy Merrill from 1992 to 1996. And then George A. Klein from 1998 to 2003. Uh, George A. Klein is just like an executive and he continued to work as a TV executive. But Andy Merrill, he's one of the people who helped Mike Lazo c create Space Ghost Coast to Coast and Cartoon Planet, the TBS show that was similar. Uh, he was the voice of Brack on Space Ghost. Who I don't know. Brack? I, I, you saw Brack. You called him cultural appropriation, man. You saw him in, when we did our Space Ghost episode a while back, Brack was in the old Space Ghost, like the 60s one. I don't think we saw Brack on Coast to Coast, which is shocking. Uh, that was negligent on my part to not include Brack. I'm going to Google it. He's really I annoying. I see what he looks like. Um, yeah, take a look. And then when they made The Brack Show, which we'll watch in the future, Andy Merrill, who is the voice of Brack, is the creator of The Brack Show. He does uh, voices on Aqua Teen Hunger Force. So he's like a Cartoon Network adult swim guy is what he becomes. But he oh, was yeah, in charge like of him. this. Oh, you see Brack? Can he's you describe like a, him? He's like a kitty. Is he a tiger? Oh, maybe you call them cultural appropriation cat. Oh, good for me. Because what, what were you thinking? Is it like a Rastafarian thing going on? What, I, don't, I what, don't know what we're Where was about? your head There's at? There's a lot here. Well, there's Zorak. Oh, there's Brack with his mom on the Brack show. What? Tyler, we'll we'll right. get there. That's right. we're get we're we're sidetracked here. Okay, we are gonna watch Toonheads. Forget about Brack. Season three, episode nine, which is the forty-second overall episode of the show. Future Shock. These are cartoons. I should just let the narrator do it, but these are cartoons about predictions about the future. Okay. Kind of tongue-in-cheek from like the forties. I, this is like my favorite stuff from Toon Heads. I liked these even more than when they'd show like Bugs Bunny and Tom and Jerry. These are just so weird to see like incorrect future predictions. Some of them might not have aged great. We'll see. But I think it's important to see them uh, warts and all. All right. I think there's just going to be a scotch of misogyny in here. Well. Tonight's Toon Heads is entitled Future Shock. In 1939, the New York World's Fair gave audiences a glimpse of the world of tomorrow. The public was fascinated with technology and all the new gadgets and gizmos for modern living. Chuck Jones was one of the first directors to spoof this fascination with technology. In Doggone Modern, high tech goes haywire after two curious dogs sneak into the house of tomorrow. The cartoon was released the same year that the World's Fair opened in New York. I like the aesthetics, the like hay. Chuck Jones was cute. He was looking good, 1939. All right, so 1939, Chuck Jones. House of Tomorrow. And it was the same year as the World's Fair, which is why people were so obsessed with the future. The New York World's Fair of 1939. All right, so these little dogs are uh, walking up to the House of the Future, and they're already freaked out. By the automatic door. I do like these little pups. That's what's so great about Tune heads in general, but like old cartoons, when you really dig into them, there's so much more than what we think of. Like, there's no recognizable characters. It's two dogs who don't speak. You know, it's not just Bugs Bunny. Here we go, an automatic sweeper. Like a Roomba? I mean, get ready. This is just a series of gags like this. It's kind of funny. Where like a robot comes out and sweeps up cigar ash. You would love to be washed in this fashion. Yeah, by the automatic, the electric yeah. dishwasher. Because, of course, one of the dogs has been sucked into it. I just imagine... Little me, it's 11 p.m. Friday, I'm up. My parents are like, what are you doing in there? <laughs> this is what I was watching. There's just so many chores in the 40s, you know? Folding your napkins. And Lord knows, men were not doing any of these chores. <laughs> I do kind of like this little dog's energy. This fury at the automatic sweeper robot. It's pretty amazing how they could always get like music synced up in these. Weren't those yeah. piano key presses exactly right? They were pretty, they were right. pretty close, if not exactly correct. Right. Every single instrument is... I feel like this is kind of what the inside of your head looks like. 
like an automatic it's like a player piano but it can do every instrument there's like creepy human heads that come out just insane insane energy it's like i love the grinch cartoon but like it's like a waste of potential by chuck jones he's so insane that's what he was doing i mean he was an older man then i guess but he's slowing down this is his bread and butter total madness and he was cute. <laughs> he was cute. You should see him old. He's adorable. He's such a cute little... Like, right, he's like freckly. He's cute. He always would wear a bow tie by the end of his life was his thing. Aww. He's cutie pie. All right, I'm just you... Googling Chuck Jones Young over here. What'd you think of the... Uh... Oh, yeah. He is cute. Look at that look. Nine years after Doggone Modern, Chuck Jones returned to the House of Tomorrow, this time with two mischievous mice. I get to push the next button. I get to push the next button. Many of the gags are the same. But Chuck changed most of the payoffs to keep the audience guessing. So we're going to watch now The House of Tomorrow with mice instead of dogs. Nine years later, and the narrator warned us that the gags are almost identical. Why would we watch that? Why would you show both? It's context, Kate. They're I just hate context. <laughs> Uh-oh. And those little mice aren't as cute as those little no, dogs. No, not at all, right? They talk. They're going to scream about pressing the button. House hunting mice. Got a little mid-century modern Eichler look. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Though. The yeah, the oh, nine... Floyd wrong. <laughs> the designer. That's a good joke. The styles between what was it, nineteen thirty-nine? Was it nineteen thirty-nine? And yeah. now we're in like nineteen forty-eight. Yeah. The last one was very Art Deco, right? Yeah. And this one's modern. And I don't like that they talk. No, and they have these. They take a gander at that voices. Yeah, but that's the point. You get to watch this and and think about that. Here we go. The automatic sweeper again. All right, so the automatic sweeper is literally the same gag. Yeah, it's got the thing that smokes the cigar, drops the ash on the ground. Let's see the robot. Is it the same robot, the, like, headless android thing? Yep. Yep. Same design. What's interesting is, like, the reason that they felt, Chuck Jones and Warner Brothers felt they could get away with recycling this is because nine years went by. It's something everyone only saw once in a movie theater. Oh, that's true. So you might not even remember. And it's just kind of funny that on... Toonheads now, they are, like, doing the opposite. They're showing you them back-to-back. There's different... I mean, look, here's a shirt-folding machine. We saw a record-playing machine that was different. Like, there is some new stuff. There's just so much slapping in this one. Yeah, the mice really beat each other. Here's a cheese dispenser. That wasn't in the last one. Yeah, but the dog bone dispenser was. (laughs) The plot has now taken a bit of a different trajectory. Mm -hmm. The mice are trying to outsmart the machine together. What is the whole idea with spring cleaning? Is it just you're too seasonally depressed to clean in the winter? No, it's just like, I think there's this idea that like, like this like archaic idea of like, well, you're cleaning every week, but like, are you lifting the refrigerator up as a housewife? But why in the spring? So you can do this stuff, go outside and beat stuff? Yeah, it's like in the winter, you're not airing out your rugs, you know, because it's too cold. Oh, look, they do a little trivia over the commercial break. You got to guess. Why it even has a separate entrance for each member of the family. For Fido. For Junior. For the missus. She just loves sweets. For Dad. And an entrance for the mother-in-law. Tex Avery, not cute. Alright, so this is Tex Avery's House of Tomorrow from MGM. Okay. Tex Avery, as you said, not as much of a snack as... Oh, not as cute as Chuck Jones. Chuck Jones, super cute, got a great name. Tex Avery seems like he would bother you at a bar and then complain that nice guys get all nice You're basing this on that one picture of him. It's his eyes. Damn. I feel like you like this with the old-timey narrator, I was you? just going to say, this is the one I liked the most. This is the yeah. one that I remembered seeing as a kid, mm-hmm. and that's why I picked this Future Shock episode yeah. to show you today. I love the narration. Now, I'm worried about some gender stereotypes in this one. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. Oh, 
Mm -hmm. Ah, we got a mother-in-law joke. We got a joke about a a woman who loves sweets, so she's got a big butt. Mm -hmm. However, did you see dad's entrance to the house for his toxic masculinity? Saloon. A saloon door. And then the mother-in-law entrance that just says scram. (laughs) Locked shut. Here's a tax fraud joke. Oh, look. There's a machine that can beat your child for you (laughs) so you don't have to. Oh, an electric chair for your mother-in-law to execute her? Really great. See? Tex Avery. Kind of weird. You were right. They won't stop with the mother-in-law stuff. They really won't. And as two people who really enjoy their mother-in-laws, you know? I, oh, I agree. It's not landing for me. No. Look, a couple of these gags have made yeah, you laugh. That's and true. Radish burping. There's so many of them and they're so fast that, you know, if some of them don't land or some yeah. of them are anti-mother-in-law uh, or if they want to end on this joke again. Mm-hmm. If they want to show you the live action footage of the, uh, I don't even know what to say about her. She's a girl in a bikini. A 1940s bikini. That girl doesn't look super happy to be there either. No, Tex Avery probably tricked her. Yeah. So, how was that one? It was fine. Made me laugh a little. You didn't like when they wanted to give the mother-in-law poison? No. It's a shame because that uh, those medicine cabinets were funny. The one, the junior's medicine cabinet, that was just a huge bottle of castor oil. That was the only thing, and it was a pretty good joke. I imagine for that time. What do you think of Toon Heads? So here's what I liked. I liked that it's all on a theme. That's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm imagining that at some point they're like grasping at straws in terms of like what even goes in this theme. Right. They're like, uh, yeah, it's uh, one's about birds. Well, here, let's look at the list. Crooner Tunes. That was a, oh, okay. a runner up here. Caricatures of crooners. <laughs> uh, Shorts and Feach. Bingo Crosbyana. Uh, Swooner Crooner. Although they cut out the Al Jolson scene. An Ant's Life, cartoons about ants. Mm. Wartime cartoons. Okay. That sounds good. The Evolution of Elmer Fudd. So this is the cool stuff for me as a kid too, where it's like Mm. Elmer Fudd looked a lot different and behaved differently in his first few appearances. He was like very rotund and round Mm. and he turned into what we know. The early works of Hanna-Barbera, cartoons about the moon, cartoons at the opera, buzzards, gangsters... Uh-oh, here's uh, Tex Avery's Little Red Riding Hood cartoons, you know, all together. Peppy Le Pew cartoons, The Many Moods of Daffy Duck. You know, here's director Robert McKimson. So they, you know, they made it work. Just Gossamer, the big uh, red hairy guy from Looney Tunes. Who? At the beginning, it's funny. There's an episode just about Popeye. Like, well, yeah. how simple. Gossamer, that thing. What is it? Oh, you never seen Gossamer? No, he looks like a polyp. Oh, wow. There'll come a day when we'll get to Gossamer. I've been trying for years to figure out how we're going to broach Space Jam and the Looney Tunes. We'll get there. Yeah, what do you think? What do you think? Is it is it valuable? Is it... I think it's definitely interesting. Like, it definitely... Um, I found this, even though maybe the cartoons weren't my favorite, I found the concept very interesting. I think it has the potential, and they, they wasted the potential in this one, but the potential to present you with these old cartoons that can be problematic, but give you the context and actually, like, explain it. I think they missed an opportunity there to uh, mention... The fact that there was going to be some weird stuff about women and mother-in-laws in this one. They didn't even, they just completely ignored it, it in the, the intro. It was the 90s. But I'm a saying. mother-in-law joke was still funny. In the intro, they could have just, even as a joke, mentioned it, you know? I think that would have been a good way to um, prep us for it a little bit. Not that we can't handle it, but anyway. And as a kid, that last one, that Tex Avery one was my favorite. But as a grown man, that first one with the uh, the two dogs was my favorite. I thought they were more fun. But the Tex Avery one does have the advantage of being so many uh 
So many jokes. It's got more gags in it. All right, Kate, so Toonheads is a win for you. You're ready to watch it every good. every Friday night at 11 with me from now on? If you think Can't that I'm wait. still awake on a Friday night at 11. <laughs> you got another thing coming. All right. Uh, I cannot stress enough to all listeners out there, if you like old cartoons and you remember Toonheads or you've never seen Toonheads, either way, go watch it. You can find it on archive.org. Hopefully it stays there for a long time. Go check it out. Uh, they're fun. I'm going to definitely watch more of these. Tune in next week. We'll have something else cooked up for you. See you, Toonheads. Tonight on the Cartoon Network, two of our top Toon stars battle it out for top billing on Bugs and Daffy Tonight at 9. Toonheads will roll at 11.30 with tunes too weird to tell you about. So just tune in on the Cartoon Network.